Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. I want to start today off with a quote. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That is French philosopher Pascal. I think his first name's Blaise. Blaise? Blaise? Oh, God. This is a, a rocky introduction, but that's okay. The guest of today is much less rocky than my introduction. It's Johnny Bowden. He is a fantastic human being. He's someone who I've followed for a very long time. And uh, like literally um, since I was 15 years old or something, I got his first, I think the first book that I got from Johnny was 100 Most Effective it was either natural cures or healthiest foods. I was doing personal training stuff. I wanted to learn about nutrition. And Johnny was my guru back in the day. So it was very interesting to get to reconnect with him today in the modern world and call him a friend and uh, be able to reach out to him. He's, he's also here in LA. So we recorded here in Venice and um, really fun conversation. We get into his the, the reproduction of his book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. And so we break down what the freak cholesterol is in the first place, uh, the values of it in our body, in our blood, in our brain, and uh, the way that it gets produced in our body. Is it from nutrition? Is it from movement? Is there, could there potentially be some emotional component to it? Uh, we get into all of that stuff in this conversation. It was very fun. I hope you guys absolutely devour it. If y'all are interested in treating yourself to a Christmas gift, we have the Align Method online programs on a extreme ridiculous discount. Typically, the Align Method, the six-week program, is $247, presently $97 for a temporary time. So people have been really digging that. It's amazing to see so many people going through it and uh, hearing the positive comments. So if you have any interest in getting some mobility around your ankles, if you have maybe some nagging knee pain or low back pain, uh, or you're just interested in learning some breathing techniques to calm your nervous system down, to hype yourself up, to give yourself energy. We break down all of that in a step-by-step, easy-to-follow guide in the Align Method online program. And so that can be found at alignpodcast.com slash courses. That's alignpodcast.com slash courses. You could also just go to alignpodcast.com and you'll see the tab courses. I appreciate you guys. I'm here in LA for the next month and then the January is open. I might be headed to Costa Rica. I might do some more diving down in Tulum. I might go to Bali. I might stick around here. I don't know. The world's open right now. If y'all have some suggestions for me, reach out at Align Podcast on Instagram. Love to hear your feedback on where the freak I should go on the globe because this winter, the intention is to travel, explore the world. So I'm going for it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you devour this conversation. Uh, I know that you guys will appreciate Johnny's experience and his perspective. He is the OG. He's the original nutritionist in the world of working with celebrities and elite athletes and all the people. So, so grateful to get to bring this to you guys. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you are having a beautiful day. Here we go. Back to the program with Johnny Bowen. Wow. How long ago was, was that, that you were living in New York? I moved here. Uh, it'll be 2002, it'll be 18 years. Cool. Mm -hmm. what, what was the transition from New York to, to LA like for you? Um, 
What was the impetus as well? Why did you come out here in the, the first place? The impetus was that I was married at the time to a soap opera actress, and she wanted to break her contract. She was on. She had a three-year contract. She had a fast-talking manager who said, "You got to come out to L.A. We'll get you to get break this contract," which she did. Moved to L.A. And I was a personal trainer in New York at Equinox, and I was beginning to write a lot. I think I may have had my first book just coming out or something. And I was doing a lot of radio, Yeah. and I, I could do it for anyone. What was the first book that you did? Nothing that you could have ever heard of. It was called Johnny Bowden's Shape Up, the eight-week program to transform your body, your health, and your life. It was read by two people, my mother and my girlfriend. It came out the week of, of 9-11. Didn't get a lot of publicity. <laughs> so I told you the, the, the your old the old books of like I think it was like the hundred and fifty healthiest, healthiest foods. foods. Yeah, that was my third. What year did that come out? The original came out in two thousand six, and it, it's been my bestseller except for the Great Cholesterol Myth, and they just did a tenth year anniversary edition in two thousand sixteen. So it's been updated, and now my pictures on the cover and yeah. shit like so that. So when that came out. I think I already mentioned this to you, but when that came out, that was I was doing personal training and so I was working in LA Fitness, and I had like destroyed that book through oh, bunny man. ears and highlights and all the things, and I conveyed so much of that information into working with clients. Did you have the new edition? I don't know what I had. The new edition is in my car. Oh, cool! I will give you the that'd be yeah, great because that's been updated and stuff like that. So you probably have maybe the one that came out first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what's so you you revised and expanded the Great Cholesterol Myth? Yes, and I would I I'd I love to talk about. Can it. say, I hope it doesn't come across as as immodest, but this is such important not because I wrote it, but the information we uncovered in this book is so important for people to know. Mm. And it's so relevant to the pandemic and, and the underlying conditions that make getting COVID a really bad event, like yeah. diabetes and metabolic syndrome and obesity and heart disease. And that is really why I want this book. I mean, sure, we want to sell lots of copies, but it was a bestseller before. It, it, it sells fine. It, what I really want is for people to know what we found out in doing this. Hmm. So when we did the first edition in 2012, we knew that cholesterol was the wrong target for the prevention of heart disease. Cholesterol as we all know it and measure it. So if you go to your doctor, they measure your HDL and your LDL. Almost everybody knows about HDL and LDL, and most people even know what it stands for, high-density lipoprotein, low-density. And everybody also knows, and I'm using knows with big, fat quote marks. Everybody knows that HDL is the good stuff and LDL is the bad stuff, and that's pretty much how we've been diagnosing heart disease since, like, 1986. Yeah. Okay. So we knew when we wrote the book in 2012 that that test was obsolete, which it is, and that cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease and that our understanding of cholesterol is very flawed. We knew all that. And that's the case that we made. We talked about the real comorbidities in heart disease, which is inflammation and oxidative damage and, and stress and sugar and those kinds of things. But what we did here is we went back to 1970 and started looking at the research. We, we kind of knew that HDL and LDL were not what we should be looking at, but we didn't have a firm, clear understanding of what we should be looking at. And now we do. 
And the, the thing that we tell people about in this that has been tracked to heart disease, and not just heart disease, but all its precursors, obesity, metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, diabetes, you name it, the entire trajectory can be tracked to something called insulin resistance. And I will explain what that is, but basically if you're like a new listener and you don't, haven't heard that term, it's a disorder of carbohydrate metabolism. Your body cannot handle the carbohydrate load that you're taking in, and what gets screwed up is something called insulin, and result is insulin resistance. Well, insulin resistance shows up 10 years before any of the signs that your doctor tells you mm. are disturbing for heart disease. By the time like your doctor says, hmm, your A1C is getting a little high, I think you got pre... 10 years ago, you could have found that with insulin resistance. And why this is so vitally important is that insulin resistance can be treated, prevented, or reversed by diet alone. No statin drugs needed. So... When people understand that, that you can actually prevent heart, or prevent the majority, I'm not going to be hyper, hyperbolic and say, oh, you can prevent all heart disease and it's always this, but, but insulin resistance tracks with heart disease the same way cigarettes track with lung cancer. It doesn't account for 100% of it, but it's a pretty damn strong correlation and it holds and it's way bigger than 80%. So if we could focus on that instead of these cockamamie low-fat diets and not eating cholesterol and all the stuff that we're afraid of, we could actually wipe up probably by some estimates and some research up to 50% of heart attacks. Could you get into a little bit of, of what it means to be insulin resistant and what's the, the origination of that in the first place? Yes, I would be delighted. So since insulin resistance is kind of a disturbance in metabolism, when I talk about this or I teach it, I always like to start with like, well, what is a metabolism supposed to look like? What's a healthy metabolism? Let's look at that before we understand what a disturbed one is. It's like if your car is broken, you want to kind of see what the engine's supposed to do. You want to see the new model first so you can look at what's gone wrong with the car in front of you. So if we want to see what's gone wrong with the metabolism, the first thing to do is look at what a metabolism looks like when nothing's gone wrong with it. So we look yeah. at like a five-year-old kid. And let's even put him back in the 1960s before there was all this processed food. And, and let's say he's eating a healthy diet and lives on a farm. So he's five, six, seven years old and eats an apple and he runs outside and he plays. Now, what happens in his body when he eats the apple is blood sugar goes up because blood sugar goes up a little bit when you eat just about any food. So it goes up, rises a little bit. Very good deal because the muscles could use that sugar. This kid's out there playing. How do the muscles get that sugar? A hormone called insulin. So when you eat some food and your blood sugar starts to creep up, the pancreas says, hey, send out the insulin troops. Insulin goes into the bloodstream, and it's like a Sherpa. It grabs that blood out of the bloodstream and knocks it into the muscle cells. Muscle cells say, great. Grabs the sugar out of the bloodstream. Insulin grabs the sugar out of the bloodstream. Yeah. That's one of insulin's main jobs yeah. as a Sherpa, a rounder-upper yeah. for sugar, yeah. to get it out, because you don't want high blood sugar. It's, it's dangerous for many reasons, and you know this is one of the control mechanisms from keeping sugar from going high, and it works very well in a healthy metabolism. Insulin comes out grabs up that little bit of sugar, takes it to the muscle cells, the muscle cells use it, then blood sugar goes down a little bit, you feel a little hungry, the kid comes home, he has dinner, that's how a healthy metabolism works. Yeah. So here's what happens 30 years later. 30 years later, you wake up, 
filled with your stress hormones, late for work, right? Your stress hormones are coursing through your veins. You stop at the local coffee emporium, you buy a 900-calorie, like, non-fat blueberry muffin, which is filled with sugar and starch and a triple-sweetened latte. Your blood sugar is now on the ceiling. The pancreas says, holy shit, this guy just ate the equivalent of 10 ding-dongs. Get out the fire engine's insulin. Go get him. And it may work a little bit in the beginning. But after a while, what happens is insulin's grabbing all that sugar. It's going to the muscle cells saying, got a new load for you. And they go, wait, dude, we don't even need this stuff. This guy's all daily activity is sitting around at the office all day with a computer. And then he goes home and uses the clicker. What are we going to do with this energy? Take it somewhere else. So insulin goes, OK, well, let's see. The fat cells, fat cells love it. So now you start putting on weight. Now your belly starts getting bigger, the first sign of prediabetes. After a while, the fat cells say, sorry, dude, we are full, there's no more. And now, no cells are taking it in. You are full-blown insulin resistant, meaning the cells are saying, no mas, no mas, close the doors, we gave it the office. And now, your blood sugar's got nowhere to go because insulin can't take it to where it's supposed to be going. And that is the beginning if not the actual diagnosis point of prediabetes into diabetes and into heart disease. Let us remember 80% of diabetics die of heart disease, not of diabetes. Mm. So this is a straight path that starts with insulin resistance and it's caused by diet. And what is the specific issues with having high blood sugar? Well, like what are the specific systems that go awry when, when you got too much of that floating around? Imagine putting sugar in the gas tank of your car. It gums up the works. Hmm. So what happens when you have high blood sugar is it starts sticking to proteins. And you have these things called glycolated proteins, which are AGE, advanced glycolated end products. And these things get sticky. They form clubs. They can interfere with circulation. They, they are the things that your old grandmothers used to have, those things they called age spots. That's, yeah, right. Those are advanced glycolated end products. So that's one of the things that can happen. That's the one to hang your head on. It's, it gums up the works. It's a highly inflammatory substance, probably one of the two most inflammatory in the American diet. So therefore, one can assume it's causing lots of inflammatory damage in the circulation. Yeah. And it's fine for a short-term energy fix, it was never meant to be coursing through our veins day and night. You know, paleo times, hunter-gatherer times, maybe you shimmied up a tree and you got a little bit of honey, natural honey, and then you ate right. it and that was great. Now, you can't buy a hamburger bun without, you know, high fructose corn syrup. I wonder what that would have been like to be a paleo person and not have exposure to much sugar and then all of a sudden blast into a honeycomb for the first time in your year decade or life probably been a real experience compared to today where you like are raised on coca-cola and sprite it's like oh yeah no big it deal it would be like they used to have a term for it food drunk it would be like being food drunk you right. would uh, this is thing that it would completely change your neurochemistry your everything your reward system you'd go kind of a little bit nuts we do actually have there's no study of that but think about it some of these studies of the pima indians is kind of kind of like a natural experiment. So here's the Pima Indians. If you don't know about this, they are the most obese people in the world, by the way. So they're constantly studied for all the cardiometabolic diseases. It's a very unhealthy population, but they're also a very good natural experiment. Where, so where the, are they at? 
Arizona and New Mexico. Oh, okay. So so the Pima Indians in their natural habitat, and I don't know enough about anthropology to know where they started, they were the, one of the leanest people on earth. They were genetically adapted to this arid climate that they lived in where nothing grows but cactuses and they just, their bodies genetically, you know, over generations they learned to do with very little food and to do fine, to extract every nutrient from them, much like giraffes evolved to be able to get the highest branches and then they do well with that and the ones that can't do it die. So in the same way the Pima Indians genetically were predisposed to being very lean and athletic and muscular and in great shape, and they were active and hunters and all of that stuff. So now they move them to the reservation, and they give them a 7-Eleven. And the, the local store where you can buy flour and sugar and things <laughs> they never even saw. A couple generations later, the fattest people on earth... And it is partly because they were not genetically adapted to a crap diet. Yeah. And that's kind of the premise of the paleo movement, is that like we're just not ready for all this shit. Yeah. And the proof in the pudding is look at what people look like. Go to Disneyland. Just look around. We have an epidemic of these cardiometabolic diseases. And what we, what we keep coming back to in the great cholesterol myth is how did we get here? Out of fear of fat and cholesterol. If you go back to like before there was a consensus committee and dietary guidelines, people ate fat all the time and nobody worried about cholesterol. They didn't even know how to measure it until yeah. the 50s. Animals in nature, if you're a wolf, you'll, you know, you're going to go for the, the liver and the fatty organs and the fat in general. First, and, and also... Especially we'd give the, the muscles and all that stuff, the things that we prize now, we'd give those to the dogs. It'd be like, okay, cool, like, we want the fat stuff. That's I'm where glad we get you, the energy. you reminded me of that because there is literature that I've seen in which they look at like indigenous peoples that, that, that are still somewhat isolated from like civilization, quote-unquote. And When a woman is pregnant in the village, they give her the fattiest meats and exactly what you cool. just said, that's what they actually bring to her. They, right. That's native wisdom, like there's good stuff in this, right? So when you think about it, how do we get to a low-fat diet? And, and you say, in nature, there's no low-fat caribou and no low-fat buffalo. So you yeah. eat what, you know, nobody's sitting around the... <laughs> the campfire going, let's trim the fat. It's just not done, right? So how did we get to where we fear fat and cholesterol? And that what we talk about in the book is it's all based on the fear that they cause heart disease. Yeah, which was also fabricated. And that's and kind of what the, the, the whole the point of That was a very intentional, well-invested movement. Yeah, I, I would even be a little more gentle than you on that just to give the benefit of the doubt. It was the research at the time, even if you don't attribute other motives to the people who did that research, and I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think it was kind of a little, well, certainly I'd, I'd, confirmation bias. I'd, I'd certainly, be, yeah, I'd love to be incorrect about that. My like grand preference is that humanity is overall starts from a core of good. And I feel like, so we were talking about this with uh, somebody just a couple of days ago of like, does evil exist? And if so, what's the origination of it? And I feel like most people, for the most part, are doing their best with the information that they have. I would like to believe... Let's, That's my hope. So let's say that. And, and actually, in the revised version, because in the first version, we told the story you're referring to that you're not actually saying, which is it, it, you know, the story of Ansel Keys and the seven country study and how we all got on this crazy low fat thing in the first place. Yeah. And we made him the villain, as many of us do. 
And in the second edition, this new edition, we decided not to waste the pages on it. It's been litigated a hundred times. Everybody knows the story that is into this stuff. People who are not really into this stuff aren't really interested in how it got started. They're interested in what they should do about their diet and what pills they should be on if their doctor tells them to be on a statin. They want practical, not historical reminiscence. So we took right. out that. We said, look, whatever happened, happened. What's important is that we're here now, and these are the dietary guidelines we have now in 2020, and they're just about to release a new bunch that are just as bad as the old bunch. And that's what we have to deal with, not whose fault it was in, 18, in 1986 when they had the consensus committee that, you know, and, and came up with this crap. Yeah. What's really important is how do we get out of it? I can't tell you, Aaron, we live in what's considered to be one of the most enlightened cities. It's an urban city. It's in Los Angeles. Everybody's up to date. The best doctors. Cedars and I, we, we live there. And I'm telling you, I play tennis with people every friggin' day. And they go, oh, my doctor says my cholesterol is too high. He's going to put me on a statin. I go, yeah, really? Well, what is your particle size? What's your triglycerides? What's your HDL? Oh, he just said my LDL is too high. To this day... So I can only imagine across the country where they don't have access to this stuff, there is enormous resistance to changing yeah. this. Could you define cholesterol and its role in the body? Yes. You know, I was talking to uh, one of my best friends in the business, Dr. Daniel Amen, the mm -hmm. psychiatrist. And right. Yesterday we were talking about this and, and he asked the same question, but he asked, you know, of course, like you did, rhetorically, just so we could have a discussion about how important it is and... You know, he reminded me, not that I needed reminding, that your brain doesn't work without cholesterol. It's in the membranes. It's in the cells. It's, it's needed for memory and thinking. It is a precursor for hormones. You don't have hormones without cholesterol. You don't have vitamin D without cholesterol. It's absolutely essential for life. And why have we demonized? Well, that's the history, why we demonized it. But what's important to know is not only that it shouldn't be demonized, but that we're looking in the wrong place. So cholesterol is this waxy molecule. It's actually in the class called a sterol. Nobody needs to know that. That just has to do with its molecular structure. The point is it is used for all these things, for the cell membrane, for thinking, for memory. It's used in all these different metabolic processes. Now, what people don't understand is cholesterol doesn't flow through the blood. It can't. It's hydrophobic. It has to be in a container. So if you thought about it, think of an oil, a cooking oil, right? What's your favorite cooking oil? Whatever it is, almond oil. Let's say there's a body of water separating you and me. We're recording this podcast in your very beautiful place here in Santa Monica, and there's a rug between us, and I want to get this cooking oil to you, but there's this water between us, this lake. So I'm going to just throw the oil into the water and hope that it'll get to your side, and then you can go cook with it. Now, is that absurd and ridiculous? Yes. Now, if I put the oil in a container, like it comes in the supermarket, I could float it over. And that's what cholesterol is. It can't travel in water. Hmm. It has to be in a container. So what is it that that container is called? It's called a lipoprotein. And we kind of know this because the two types of cholesterol, what we should say is the two types of containers, are HDL, which is a high-density lipoprotein, and LDL, which is low-density lipoprotein. But keep your focus on lipoprotein because 
One of the biggest take-homes of this book and of all modern research in this field is pointing to the facts that it ain't the cargo, which is cholesterol, which is carried by the lipoprotein, it's the lipoprotein we need to be looking at. Because lipoproteins, if there's a lot of them in the blood, there's more likely to be an accident. It's like boats in the water. If you're monitoring you know, the Pacific Ocean in the marina and there's eight million boats out there, I don't care how well-meaning everybody is, there's gonna be an accident. Somebody's gonna bang up against somebody else. So the modern way of measuring cholesterol is not to concentrate on the cholesterol, which is this almost innocent bystander cargo in the lipoprotein, but to concentrate on the lipoproteins themselves and measure how many there are of them. That is way more predictive of heart disease than HDL. And when people come to me and they know I wrote this book and they say, my, my doctor says my, my cholesterol is high. I said, what did he measure? And they go, my LDL, I, I, irrelevant, irrelevant. Go back and get the particle test. Get the test that measures the number of particles. It's the only one that's giving you useful information. And is the LDL, the low density and the high density, are they, they are in relation to each other. Yes? Yeah, it's like, you, you, I'll tell you how I just found out how they actually gave them those names. Uh, so a lipoprotein carries three pieces of cargo, triglycerides, protein, and cholesterol. The one, if you put them in some aqueous solution under a, an electron microscope, the high-density ones will float to the bottom, and the low-density ones will, you know, they have a low density, so they're more like a, a little, you know, rubber, yeah, they're more buoyant. Yeah. So that was a way of distinguishing two of the boats. Here's the crazy part. We now know that there are 13 different kinds of boats, not two. Hmm. There's LDL 3A and 3B. There's 2A, 2B, 3A. There's LP little a. There's oxidized cholesterol. There's, there are 13 different subfractions, and they behave differently. All LDL isn't bad. Some of those molecules are big and fluffy, and they, are, they really don't do much damage. Others are nasty little inflamed particles that, that are very atherogenic. If you're not looking for that, you are basically classic. You do body work. Okay, so you probably know there's lots of different conditions that are associated with having a very tall frame and some that are maybe indigenous to small frames. And I know on a tennis court, it's quite a different strategy if you're 6'5 than if you're 5'6. Sure. So those are categories that it would be useful to know, right? What if, in this day and age, when we can decode the human genome of 30,000 genes, people were simply diagnosing based on, oh, you're short? You're tall, and that's it. Right. Well, that's what we're doing with LDL and HDL. Hmm. It's a big particle or it's a little part. There's 13 of them, and they get into patterns, and some of those patterns, like pattern B, predicts both insulin resistance and, and heart disease, and pattern A doesn't. So those things are things that are under the hood, and doctors are sticking to this short and tall test, and it makes me crazy because not only are they over-medicating people with statins, because some of those people with high LDL, if you look under the hood, it's all big fluffy molecules. It's not in the bad pattern. It's, there's not that many particles there to begin with. It's just fine. It doesn't matter that there's high LDL in that category. Yeah. But other people, like me, have very normal LDL and HDL, and when I looked under the hood, the news was not so good. So people like me are untreated, undiscovered, because they think, oh, my LDL's good, my HDL, who cares? When I got this information, I've been much more careful about monitoring my own metrics, I found that I actually had a high particle size, and I've been working the last six months. I'm about to have it tested again to bring it down. Would have been completely missed if I only looked at LDL and HDL, because conventional doctors think mine is fine.
Hope you guys are enjoying that conversation with Johnny. I wanted to share a little message from a vital mineral referred to as magnesium. Magnesium is one of the only minerals or supplements for that matter that I will actually purchase with my own money. Reason being, it is largely devoid in modern day soil. It's been the case ever since the 50s and it's not getting better. Magnesium is something that is vital for over 100 different processes in your body, including the general production of energy, muscular relaxation, it's very helpful for sleep, fat metabolism, a whole slew of different things. And uh, if you were just eating the standard American diet, then you are likely deficient in this vital mineral. So I teamed up with my friends at BioOptimizers to hook you guys up with a discount on some of the absolute best magnesium that you will find on the market. Their mag breakthrough is really good stuff because it includes all seven different forms of magnesium as opposed to just one or two or three or few. And they are of the highest quality stuff that you will find. So I've been really pleased with the product so far and get yourself a 10% discount by going to biooptimizers.com slash align. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash align, biooptimizers.com slash align. 10% discount. And I recommend trying it for sleep. I recommend trying it for muscular relaxation. Those are the big ones that people will go to for magnesium. And if you don't absolutely love the product, you can get your money back from them. So biooptimizers.com slash align, 10% discount. Enjoy the rest of the conversation with my man, Johnny Bowden. I wonder from your perspective, going so deeply into this for the last several decades, I wonder if you've stumbled upon or intuitively feel or there's any scientific uh, research around outside uh, effects beyond just what food goes into my face. Oh my God. The entire third section of this book is about the things that have nothing to do with diet and exercise that influence heart disease. I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. I think that's where you're going. It seems like the conversation is so limited and we're very, what we can kind of tangibly measure in a beaker, it's very apparent like, okay, I hold the apple in my hand, it goes into my face. Agreed. That's biology. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, well, perhaps that's just one of the thousands of spokes. And, and, and let's move into that because I think that is the lesson, I think, not just me, but all the people that I admire that do weight loss coaching, for example. They don't yeah. even want to look at food diaries anymore. Yeah, there's yeah, it's and a nobody's even thing. if you after the first five or ten years, if you're any good, you're not looking at food diaries because we have already figured out from I don't know, ten thousand clients over the decades that your attitudes, how you sleep, how you go to the bathroom, your relationships, how connected you feel to your community. All of these things have powerful influences on our stress hormones, and our stress hormones have powerful influences on our heart. Steve talks about cases in here where literally a stress brought on a heart attack, and, and, and particularly if, this, if the biochemistry is already a little bit vulnerable, then it's a triggering thing. You cannot treat or prevent heart disease without talking about those things, and they are, I, I hate when people get so into the weeds of a metric that's measured in a lab. That's a lab measurement. It's meant to predict something. Yeah. It is not a fait accompli. Think of it like a horoscope. It has a pr probability of happening, but it's not 100%. And there's still a million things that you and I have control over that can actually influence the outcome. Yeah. What are some standout ones? So some, some of that I think, I think is very interesting is like there's a 
clearly a relationship of what you eat is going to trickle down and impacting the way that you think, the way that you feel, you levels bet. of stress in your body. You bet. And then I think there's also another reciprocal relationship of the levels of stress and my relation, my, my identity of self and all of that. It's going to feed back into what I eat. eat. A hundred percent true. It's one big feedback loop, just like mind and body. There's no separation. So if we, if we just played the narrative of perhaps the, the mind body relationship, uh, and levels of, of, of stress or just the, you know, like the, the way that we perceive the world feeds back if that was the, the root, the chicken or the egg, okay, let's put that as the, as the egg. Like, does that work as well? Is it like a perfect reciprocal relationship? Like, how could... I don't think it matters. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. As a practical matter, you know, you've you yeah. got this circular thing you want to... We're trying to guess, like, where it starts, at what yeah. point in the... They feed each other. Yeah. They influence each other. They change the trajectory, the shape, the power of the other. And it's like mind and body. Nobody talks about nature versus nurture anymore. They talk about nature via nurture because everybody knows those two things interact in such a soup that it would be like trying to separate the ingredients of a tomato soup. But there's a little basil in there. There's what, which one started it? Do you think you could think yourself or stress yourself into imbalanced cholesterol levels or insulin resistance? I know well, this is a very like meta kind of stony question. But. Yeah, but it, it happens to be something that Steve Sinatra told me that, that addresses it. So one of the things that we talk, and we mentioned this in the book. So when Sinatra was doing his residency, he forgot to eat one day. Hmm. And he had a six o'clock thing that he had to go to, and he, was, he had forgotten to eat, and he was pretty nervous. And this is a guy, total normal levels of everything. Everything's fine. He's just for fun, I'm going to do a quick blood see what my sugar and my cholesterol is. And he said his cholesterol was sky high. Hmm. He hadn't eaten anything. It wasn't because of something he ate. There was clearly, and I don't know the exact mechanism, better biochemist than me might be able to trace it, but I'm sure it has to do with cortisol, and cortisol has a lot of effects on blood sugar and on insulin, and so all of that stuff could certainly... And, and cholesterol, we make cholesterol partly in response to injury, so there's, there's some... In, you know, indication that it may be part of the immune system and therefore possibly a stress is perceived as an attack of something that the immune system needs to respond to. Yeah. So for any of those reasons, the point is cholesterol goes up when you're stressed yeah. and, and, um, and it goes down when you're diseased. And not, we don't know if it's a chicken and egg thing if that's causing it or if it's a result of the disease, but it's definitely true that cholesterol is responsive to other than just food. Yeah. So what are some uh, like basic bullet points that would stand out for you of non-nutritionally based factors that impact these? these well, the, the ones that we talk about in the book, and they're just what comes to mind. I'm sure that if I opened it up, we'd find others, but meditation comes to mind immediately because I started that three years ago. So I really see. Oh, the, I remember this. The last time we talked, it was around like the beginnings of that. Yes. It was cool. exact, it's been yeah. three years in July. Yeah. So I think that that's a big part of it. I think that your obviously exercise and activity is a huge part of it. I think that our relationships with other people, and this has been shown in the Blue Zone research time and time again, the, the communities that you're part of and how connected you feel to them and how connected you feel to your, either your neighbors, your church, your temple, your atheist community, I don't care what it is, it's the connection to a community and being part of something other than just yourself is incredibly healing to the body in, in yeah. myriads of ways. Um, it's an indication of safety. 
it's an indication of safe. Maybe some very primal ways that it is that it it, it it makes you feel safe or connected or whatever it is. And 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 giving to others is a very gratifying thing. You know, Tim Ferriss, who we both know the the podcaster, um, has interviewed just about like every high performer that ever lived, from you know Bill Gates to Michael Jordan, to Tony Robbins, all of them, and he collected. The, the essences of what they taught or what they all said in a book called Tools of Titans. And yep. it literally tells you 80% of them do some kind of meditation, 80% of them exercise, 80%, I mean, they all do the same things. It's even higher than 80 in, in some of these cases. So they all feel that way about connection and community and charity and giving back. And, you know, just all of those things are just nourishing to the soul. And what's nourishing to the soul is nourishing to the body. Yeah. Am I thinking you can you can think your way out of a heart disease? It's not a one-on-one -on -one linear relationship. Like if I just think my blood lipid levels to be low, they're going to go low. But I think all these things have like little incremental they make incremental changes. They work with one another, just like vitamins do. They interact and they create kind of a, a, a space <laughs> that we can live in. I wonder if language, instead of think, it feels like it's almost like perhaps a more effective language would be like, can I unthink myself? Well, that's what meditation is. Right. You know, so it's, it's the idea of like, okay, well, I think maybe thinking is actually a thing that's got you wrapped up in knots in the first place. Exactly what the 30, people who <laughs> practice meditation for 30 years are telling me, that that's yeah. the big reveal. So, yes, it's all thoughts. It really is all thoughts. Do you see a relationship in a person that, say, perhaps is existing in the place of feeling unsafe? They're feeling in a place of, of scarcity. They're feeling in a place like there's not enough. They're feeling in a place like they're alone. They're isolated from the tribe. They're out there by themselves. It's cold. You know, would that person's cells perhaps respond differently to, like, say, holding on to fat, for example? Because this is some people that, that do have issues with obesity or overeating or just hanging on to weight. I've heard conversations, which I'm 0% expert on at all. You know, I just think it's an interesting question. Is there some psychosomatic component to holding on to, to weight? I know it's a really big question. It's, you could just say pass. Not, no, I, I'm not going to pass at all. I have okay. a great anecdote to okay. tell you about this, actually. But I want to preface it by saying that the last thing we ever want to do is a blame the victim. Like there was a time in the 90s when there was theory, cancer is just anger. If right. you weren't so angry, you wouldn't have a tumor. And yeah, never, ever friggin' want to do that. So do I think that there are extra nutritional aspects to life that can symbolically cause you to hold on to weight or maybe even physiologically. You, know, you are the leanest guy I know and I guarantee, <laughs> I'll tell you what Jason Fong would say. I'll take the leanest, healthiest guy in the world, let me give him prednisone for six months and let's see how, how lean they are. Yeah. I mean, there are things that will override your metabolism, like insulin and prednisone being two of them. So do I think that those things and that there's a, a complete feedback loop from the brain into the body? Absolutely. But I don't think everybody who is overweight is hanging on to it or has some trauma in their life or is doing it for a reason. And I think that's a dangerous assumption to make. But I do think we can all agree that there are lots of factors beyond just what we eat. And our, there's genetics for one, which is kind of value-free, but we don't want to blame people for that. But that said... I want to tell you a well, story. Genetics can be very victimizing as well, though. It can be, yeah. And more permanently victimizing. The genetics are the cards you dealt with, and you always have a choice about how to play them. 
what's your belief around like Bruce Lipton, biology of belief, epigenetics, the way that I, we... I tried to read the biology of belief and it was way really? over my pay grade. And honestly, I wasn't that interested <laughs> to, to like really do the learning curve of figuring out what he was saying. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. But I, I just, it's, too, it's much more metaphysics. I just want people to prevent cardiometabolic disease by switching from a <laughs> low fat diet to a natural foods diet with lots of fat in it. And, and if they could do that and then have all the energy and, and brain power to think about things like the biology of belief, but we want to get them you know, out, of the, out of the metabolic wards first. I was just on a panel with Nina Teitrok, who is one of the experts in this field. She wrote the book, The Big Fat Surprise. I've absolutely changed the landscape of how we talk about these diets. And, um, and, and she was saying the latest research shows that 88% of America has some kind of metabolic under, underlying condition of the type that I'm talking about that's related to insulin resistance, whether it be high blood pressure, abdominal fat, um, metabolic syndrome, syndrome X, prediabetes, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, all of them on that continuum, 88% of America has it. And those are the conditions that make it really bad if you get COVID. We were talking about this offline. I personally think probably when, when the dust settles and we have the real statistics, you know, we've been able to figure out all of this stuff. I'll bet you 80% of the world has been exposed to COVID, and most of them are asymptomatic and don't even know that they had it. So you're not going to prevent being exposed to this or any other virus. What you want to do is make sure you can fight off whatever comes along. And I know that, I mean, I don't want to get that virus. It is a nasty virus. It's different than the other viruses. I get all that. I'm not a denier. But I'm feeling pretty secure that if I get, I mean, my vitamin D levels are 67. Um, I, you know, I take these, I, I didn't start boosting my immunity yesterday. I've been doing it for 30 years. I'm fairly confident that if a hurricane comes, my house will be left standing. Yep. That's all you can really do. But the point is, this stuff that we're talking about in the great cholesterol, these underlying cardiometabolic conditions, if we don't take care of them, our house is not going to be able to withstand hurricanes. It's, it's, it's like having a fire department and you want it to be available for a wildfire in Topanga Canyon, the big stuff. You want all the engines there, all hands on deck. But meanwhile, there are all these unforced errors. There are kids putting in, you know, making fires in little pails on the beach, and, and all the fire department's got to send its resources to these little crap, unforced errors of inflammation. You're not going to have the big guns there when you really need them. And that's why it's so important not to be inflamed more than the normal amount that you get from walking around eating an anti-inflammatory diet, keeping all these unforced errors, which are the cardiometabolic conditions we're talking talking about yeah. most of them can be prevented by diet yeah so for the person that ha say you know like the best time to you were alluding to it the best time to like fix the roof is when it's not raining or whatever however that goes. well yeah but isn't that true you really want to be trying to fix this percent. in the middle of it now i realize we we're already in the middle of pandemic when your kids aren't yeah you can, you can start feeding them, get rid of the cereal boxes and the crap and the Doritos and the donuts and the sodas now. Yeah, right. So that, that belief, I think a lot of people could perhaps come from a, a stance of like, well, the best time to, to fix the roof was when you know, there wasn't a hurricane on top of us. Uh, but I think that's also not entirely accurate with how responsive the human organism is. You know, and so just one night of good sleep versus bad sleep oh, completely changes your whole entire immune system. I'll, I'll tell you, Barry. Even serious. taking a short walk, I think it's like a thirty-minute walk or twenty-minute walk increases natural killer cells. Like these are the things that are all are true. 
supporting all your body true. to defend against not just any one virus, but all the viruses. And then also coming to the, the, the reality that it's more about relationship with viruses. Virus isn't just bad. I'm not talking about coronavirus, just virology in general. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're bathing in viruses. It's more, you know, like terrain theory. You know, it's like, it's like what's, what's the terrain of, of your, sure. your system? Yeah. And how does that relate totally get to the that. factors that are coming in? Totally get that. When you see people misaligned, they're not, they're not structurally sound, whatever that is for you. Yeah. You know other stuff's going on. Certainly. You know there's muscle imbalances. And if there's muscle imbalances, there might be other imbalances. There might be some of those muscle imbalances might come because you are symbolically carrying a lot of weight or doing something that is almost like you talked about, symbolic of of keeping people away, like weight might be in some cases. Or maybe if you're really feeling the weight of a lot of pressure on you, you might like hump your shoulders a little bit. It might be almost a body symbolism. A person that feels insecure and doesn't want to be seen. How do you hide yourself? How do you hide yourself? You You can't put a a refrigerator box over your body. How do you hide? That's exactly. So you you see that these things are so related like this. And, And, you know, I think everybody in their lives kind of, if you think about it a little bit, knows that these things are all related, that... Any challenge that comes, if you're coming from a place of joyfulness and security and safety and calm, you're always going to have the best of any response you could have. It's going to be on the high end of those responses. It's going to be more productive, more efficacious if you're in that state of mind. So you always want to to do that. And and as far as the turnaround time, Barry Sears, who wrote the Zone books that was so popular in the 90s and, you know, very, very influential, the Zone diet, the 40-30-30 plan, he he once told me, you can reverse insulin resistance in in 72 hours. I mean, maybe there's some cases you can't, that the damage has been done. I'm not, I'm not making any blankets. More or less, the, the measurements from insulin resistance will return to normal with three days of a low-carb diet, mm-hmm. a really low-carb diet. So it, it's very responsive. We, can, we, can, we may not be able to wipe out all the diabetes tomorrow by eating this way, but we can keep it from getting worse. We can keep all these underlying conditions from getting worse, and we can prevent our kids from getting them. So it's really important that we make these dietary changes, and it's not just about lowering your cholesterol. Yeah. So coming back to the ground, I apologize for speaking on shit that I know nothing about, (laughs) such as virology. Uh, It's just a fancy, nice word to say. Mm -hmm. And I've heard from people that are much smarter than me uh, speak about the value of of certain viruses Mm -hmm. and their relationship in the body. So I'd like to learn more about that. But coming back to ground, tangible, actionable information, what oils are the best for the body because there's a lot of oils that are kind of like on the on like the the no-no list from what i i hear but then it's also interesting how you know nutritional information it does tend to fluctuate as far as like what the science says you know so as far as where we're at 2020 what does science say? What kind of oil should we have in our cabinet and what should we not? It depends on what scientist you ask. Yeah, I mean, right. that's like saying, what does politics say? Shit well, if confusing. you ask the Democrats, you're going to get one answer. And if you ask Mitch McConnell, you're going to get another answer. Yeah. There is a great deal of published research like the seven country study that says, oh, if we get rid of animal fats and replace it with vegetable or L home, this is what happens. When you look under the hood at that research, it's bullshit. Hmm. It's just terrible research and so if you asked harvard if you asked the unsat- the, the the king of the unsaturated fat movement the polyunsaturated fats get rid of the saturated what the healthy oils are they are going to give you a list of oils if you ask me 
what the worst oils in the, in the human diet are, it's probably going to be the same list that the, the unsaturated fat people think are the best oils. Yeah, so if you're asking me, yeah. I would get rid of all my corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, canola oil, for God's sake, grapeseed oil, another one that, that somehow they put the health patina on, but it's just another high omega-6 oil. Most of those oils are just crap. And yes, yes, you could find an organically cold-pressed canola oil, and it might not be that bad, but 92% of canola oil is, is GMO. It's highly processed. It's degummed at high temperatures. It's inedible in its natural state, and they have to do all this to just make it sufficient to be consumed, and then they did a great marketing job on it. These are horrible oils. So canola is rapeseed, right? Rapeseed is the plant. Do they, they change it just so they don't like the word rape? That's exactly right. <laughs> you could not sell rapeseed oil, so they said, well, it's grown in Canada, <laughs> and it's an oil, so let's call it canola. That's great. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> so those are the ones I don't like. Here's what I do like. I like, um, I, uh, all right, obviously fish oil, which isn't used for cooking, but you can certainly drink out of the, the yeah. bottle. I do that a lot. So fish oil. Um, extra virgin olive oil is a therapeutic as far as I'm concerned. It's one of the supplements I take by spoonful every single day. That's right. how important I think extra virgin olive oil is. Avocado oil is a wonderful oil. It stands up to heat. Malaysian palm oil is a very nutritious oil. It's red because it's got carotenoids and tocotrienols and all that stuff. And it's another one that gets a really bad rap because they think they're deforesting the world and they, they really don't in Malaysia. They're actually very kind of conscientious about the environment. Mm. So I like palm oil. I like almond oil. Coconut? Of course. Coconut, barley's coconut oil. I like a lot. I use that. Animal fat? Butter? Yes. Lard? I put butter on, I mean... Yes. I'm not one of those who just eat sticks of butter. I've actually seen some people, like uh, there's a famous low-carb guy that like, just here, I'll just eat it. Isn't it great that there's some things in nature that taste delicious and nature's not out to destroy you? That's right. They're like, there's a reason that that fat tastes so good. I (laughs) I think we think that it's like, we almost, and this comes back to more of like an epistemological kind of like your per- perspective on the world. Like, is the world out to get me or is it on my side? It's it really the stuff, like I say, if you eat foods that you could have hunted, fished, gathered, or plucked, I mean, yes, you could point to a poisonous mushroom, but for the most part, yeah. for the most part, foods that you could hunt, fish, gather, or pluck are going to be good for you. And they don't come in low fat versions. You know, and dairy fat's another one. I mean, I eat the eggs, I never, I don't touch egg whites the dumbest nutritional experiment everything's backwards man when i was hopped up on your your book how you know 15 years ago (laughs) or 16 years ago or that was um i was you know doing the personal training thing and and having people take their yokes out and i did just i mean i grew up in that i I was a trainer at at equinox maybe drop one yoke in just for for flavor but it felt like we were like cheating with the yolk whereas now i'm like i'm like okay maybe it's, it's literally the complete antithesis of what i was suggesting 15 years ago which is where i have kind of humbly stepped back and be like ultimately this is what we're saying and uh i think you just gotta feel into what feels best for the individual um, but it's fucking confusing. Well, yeah. I, I, and by the way, Mia Culpa, I was a trainer in 1990 at Equinox, one of the senior trainers. I said the same things. I believed yeah. the same things. I was the guy that if I'm an egg white omelet... I'm grateful you're malleable omelet, to change. Huh? I'm, great, I'm, I'm grateful you're malleable to change. That's an important but, thing. But the egg white omelet would come in if it had a little of the yolk in it, I'd send it back. I right. mean, I was that... Fa- you know, I, I'm with you. I get that. 
Here's a good place to sum it up about how confusing nutritional advice is for people and how it seems to change all the time. So given that, given that in any given decade, you might have people arguing for vegan diets and other people arguing for carnivore diets and everybody in between, and then it gets all political. Given that there is that flux, it seems to me that the most prudent and sober and smart thing to do is go, let's forget about what's going on now. What did the human genus survive on for 2.4 million years? So let's look for one second. 2.4 million years is the human genus. Those are the predecessors of Homo sapiens. Homo sapiens, depending on who you read, 110,000 years out of Africa. So we've been here, the genus has been here for 2.4 million. The sapiens have been here for 110. Where should we look to get really good information? What they're arguing about in, 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 90, in, in 1990 to 2020? Or what sustained the human genus for 2.4 million years? And what did sustain the human genus? Foods you could hunt, yeah. gather, fish, or pluck. There wasn't even agriculture until 10,000 years ago. How did we survive all that time? And all the studies, anthropological studies, they were in better shape. They died younger because there was cold and woolly mammoths and rival tribes, but they didn't die of metabolic diseases. They didn't have the signs in their bones of coming diseases that anthropologists are able to see from, from representative bones. They didn't have those diseases. So how did they survive so well? I mean, there was food that they could hunt. And there was some plants that they could gather, and there was some stuff that fell off a tree. That's how they survived. The closer we can do to that, the better it will be for us. Yeah, not to mention the introduction of artificial lights. I think that's not really to mention that. That's a, a, a great example of something we didn't even talk about that we both know is important. Yeah, you know, it's like they, it's like, oh, what were they eating back in this? It's like what. Also, did they not have yes. as a fucking light bulb? Oh, man. <laughs> and, and, and if you, <laughs> when the sun goes down, the sun's down. You get red light from a fire. That, that's you your paleolithic light You look light. out and open and use your panoramic vision. And perhaps you, you know, cuddle up with other people in community and Dude. support each other and have that physical contact. And you're probably sitting down on the ground and mobilizing your hips and circulating lymphatic fluid. And maybe All you're even true. telling stories and accessing your, your imagination. All and, true. You know, it's like, and All true. I mean, there, I could go on about it. Um, I so greatly appreciate you. Oh, man. man thank you oh. so much for having me. This has been just a flew by. It's an hour already. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we, where should people go with from here? What should people I would love them to go to Amazon yeah. and buy this book and write a review of it. And I have a website, johnnybowden.com. There's no H in Johnny. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter right. at Johnny. Yeah, Bowden. man. I just, uh, once again, I mean, I've already blown much smoke up your ass. Um, but you honestly were like one of the major catalysts or inspirations for me to, uh, work with clients, uh, in a different way than I was. And so, uh, wow. the origination of, of getting into your books back when I was doing personal training in LA fitness, um, that's, you know, that's, it laid some degree of a foundation for the work I'm doing today. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you right. so much. Thank you all for tuning in over now. I'll see you next week. Hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you got some valuable tidbits, I recommend sharing with your friends. The best way to share this podcast if you find value in it. You can share it on Instagram. 
tag me at Align Podcast. You can also tag Johnny Bowden at Johnny Bowden, J-O-N-N-Y-B-O-W-D-E-N. Tag us both. There's a good chance we will reshare it, especially if you tag a specific part that you found value in. So if there's a specific lesson or fact or idea, put that out there and uh, very good chance we'll reshare it. I appreciate you guys so much checking out the Align Method online program, which is on an extreme ridiculous discount presently. Typically, it's been $247 for the last six months or so. It is present. Recently, $97, whatever that is, 65% off or something. I'm not sure. It's a lot and people have been digging it. So people have been jumping on that. You can find that at alignpodcast.com slash courses or just go to alignpodcast.com. You'll see the courses tab up at the top right and bang it. We also have how to heal low back pain and uh, knee pain. So if you're experiencing specifically low back pain or knee pain, the mini courses are $27, very affordable, very straight forward to the point, get her done. And uh, people have been digging all those guys. So the six week online method online program, $97, typically 247 for a limited time. And then the how to heal your low back pain and knee pain can be found in the courses section as well. So if you're feeling like treating your body to the gift of self care and functional movement for Christmas, jump on over to linepodcast.com slash courses. Thank you guys so much for the support in my life. You guys supporting the courses and the clothing and the resistance bands and all that stuff is what allows me to travel. It's what allows me to be able to procure great guests for the show. And your support is the fuel that keeps this whole thing running. So I really appreciate that. I can't thank you enough. And um, if there's anything I can do for you, reach out at Align Podcast on Instagram. And that's it. That's all. I'll see you all next week.